0: It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Friday, Howard. How are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Hey, we're doing we're doing great. We have lots of playoffs to dive into, but uh, let's start here because you just put out a podcast with Lamar Odom of all people. Talk about a a curious journey of a of a basketball player and and certainly in life. What'd you learn from Lamar?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. And obviously, Lamar has been through a lot in the last well, his his entire life really. I mean, things going back to childhood and just in, in terms of loss and trauma and all kinds of things. But as, as everybody knows, you know, he nearly died in 2015 from, you know, massive overdose. And he, you know, in the wake of that, you know, a, a, whole, a whole bunch of things have gone on. But he is clean and he is um, in a really great state of mind these days. And part of what has gotten him back to, to you know, full mental and physical health was a really fascinating uh, regimen of, of treatment that he underwent it's been almost two years, but it, it the documentary about that journey and about his treatment just came out it's called Lamar Odom reborn it's on YouTube I think it's in some other places too, but you can find it on youtube it's it 's fifty minutes long it's called Lamar Odom reborn and it's about this regimen of ketamine, which is you know, not the kind of thing you get over the counter. This is this has to be not, and it's not even just prescribed. It has to be taken under the supervision of a doctor, and it's um, it's it's a drug that's been around a long time, and it's 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 a hallucinogenic on some level. It is um, it has a variety of uses, but he he's been going through these ketamine treatments, and then also something called ibogaine, which is not legal in this country. He had to go to Mexico for it. And again, hallucinogenic properties. But for somebody who has been addicted, for somebody who has uh, dealt with also severe depression, these are treatments that can, you know, the, that they, that can kind of reset your your brain. Um, and I don't know a better way to say that. And I know that sounds a little weird and a little scary. And and frankly, watching the film um, when I screened it a week ago like I was nervous for Lamar. I told him this when, when I interviewed him, I just, I I, I felt very tense. Like this is, this is, this is um, some pretty wild stuff, but it, it, there, there is a proven track record too, especially with the ketamine, which, which is used in this country and, and, you know, like I say, heavily supervised um, settings. So he's in a very good place and um, he's, you know, He's got, you know, he's 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 reconnected with his his adult children, um, with his ex-wife, um, and he I, it just it was just encouraging to see Lamar Odom, who obviously was a fabulous player, and to having having obviously the whole world saw what he went through in the last you know five six years, and especially the near-death experience. That um, it's just great to see him in in a really good place right now.
2: Howard, did he have any advice as far as uh, this cautionary tale really of what to avoid for people who,
1: who who might benefit from that kind of advice nothing specific but you know he does now consider himself among other things an advocate for mental health and for talking openly about mental health and he talked about how great it was that Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan and others have brought this you know into the mainstream discussion within the NBA and that You know, these are issues that obviously for years people just were, you know, didn't want to talk about openly and and teams in the league, you know, maybe weren't great about supporting on these issues. But he wants to be, you know, more of an active spokesman in in that area. Um, I think he's trying to find, you know, new ways to 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 be, you know, uh, whether it's engaged with the NBA or elsewhere, just to to kind of, you know, to, to I, I don't like I say I, you know you ask is there something specific he can tell people and I don't think there is because his experience is very unique to him right uh, childhood trauma addiction a lot of loss a lot of deaths of people close to him so he you know he's his own unique um, experience and I don't know that that's you know th- th- there are lessons that are necessarily transferable uh, you know especially when you talk about you know ad- addiction issues you know people have have you know all their own. Um, challenges in, in that regard. Um, but I think that for him, it's more just a matter of by sharing his experiences, by being open about it, it, you know, hopefully provides a, an opening for people or a, a greater comfort for people to realize that, you know, you know, even people in his, in his position have gone through um, some some really tough stuff. And, you know, that there are there are always ways to to kind of tackle these issues.
0: Howard, is it a no-brainer? Should the Jazz uh, fans be cheering for the Grizzlies tonight?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, listen. You know, we can sell teams short. We can um, misestimate, uh, miss, you know, you know, assess teams at times. And it's not that a young, scrappy Grizzlies team couldn't pose some sort of challenge. It's just that. One team has one of the greatest players and one of the greatest shooters, probably the greatest shooter we've ever seen, and the other team does not. So, yeah, I think when in doubt, steer. you, you want to steer away from Steph Curry if you can. Um, the Warriors have a lot of flaws in that roster, but they very nearly won the other night against the Lakers. I mean, if not for a, an incredible shot by LeBron at the end, maybe the Warriors win that game. Um, in which case, <laughs> the the, the Jazz would then be hoping somehow the Grizzlies could upset the Lakers. Um, but uh, Steph Curry, you know, one hot shooting night, you let him get loose, and it, it just turns everything. John Morant is a really talented player. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a very talented player, but that team just doesn't have that same kind of threat in in, in, in the body of a single person. And they're inexperienced, right? Like that, the, the Grizzlies, they've got some playing experience, but they don't have any playoff experience, and, and I do think that matters. So, yeah, I, I think you guys are rooting for a Grizzlies upset. Um, I'm not counting on that happening.
2: So, Howard, have you uh, revealed the, the way you voted in the
1: awards? Um, some, Some yes, some no, and it's not because I've withheld anything. It's just like I don't do the full-on column that explains every last vote. Um, so just a matter of of what's come up. So, you know, fire away and I'll tell you, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever I can remember off the top of my head.
2: How did Rudy do? How did, uh, Jordan Clarkson and Joe Ingles and how did Quinn Snyder do?
1: Uh, I'll start with the last first. Quinn ended up third on my ballot behind Monty Williams and Tom Thibodeau. Um, there was a time a couple months ago where I thought Monty, uh, or excuse me, where it was, where's Quinn, it was Quinn one and Monty two, and then Monty overtook him. And then the Knicks kept, coming and coming and coming, and it was like, you know, it's, all you're doing with this an exercise like that is weighing how impressive it all was, right? Like every single one of those situations, those three alone, to say nothing of Doc Rivers or Steve Nash or some others, every single one of these, it's like, wow, that was a really amazing job these guys did this season. And so then it's just weighing relative, like, well, which was more impressive, the, you know, rescuing the Knicks out of nowhere to being fourth in the East versus the Suns being... 10 years out of the, the playoffs and then jumping from 10th to second and nearly getting the best record versus what the jazz did and going from good to great. like They're all impressive. And so ultimately you start splitting hairs at the end. So uh, Quinn landed third. Um, Donovan Mitchell did not end up on anything that I did. Jordan Clarkson ended up my sixth man. I was leaning angles for a bit there. And then I thought, you know, I, I don't want to overthink this. Um, there's this – kind of backlash in recent years as analytics have become more a part of our discussion and I get it and I and I'm part of this too like I believe efficiency matters a lot and Ingles is way more efficient than Clarkson but to an extent and to the extent that they're both coming off the bench what Jordan Clarkson can do with the ball in his hands to loosen up a defense because of his ball handling and his ability to break down a defense and and get into the teeth I think helps Ingles be that efficient like I don't know if Joe Ingles gets all those shots and as efficiently uh, and it, without the space that's being created by a uh, Jordan Clarkson. Plus, if I'm, again, splitting hairs, um, the Eagles started a ton of games. Now, he still was, uh, came off the bench for more than he started, so he qualifies. I'm not saying he's not a sixth man, but um, when you're splitting hairs, you eventually say, okay, well, was more of a sixth man? <laughs> um, so that's how that went. And then Rudy was my defensive player of the year by a little bit over Ben Simmons. There's a lot of different ways to, to, you know, parse that whole thing. Um, but I ended up going with Rudy on kind of on the premise that like Ben Simmons is the more versatile defender. Like if you, if you said, who do you want? Who could just guard one through five, no problem um, night in night out and, and enable you to do all kinds of other things with your defense because of it. Okay. Ben Simmons is the more versatile, but Rudy's a walking top-five defense. Like, you know, stick him on Minnesota. Stick him on, um, I don't know who else is horrendous defensively, Hicks, the, the Sacramento Kings, the Washington Wizards. You you put him on any of those teams without changing anything else, and they're probably top-five defense. And that that that's an incredible thing.
0: Howard, what do you think is the most interesting first-round playoff series we have?
1: The most interesting... Um, I really love Milwaukee, Miami. Um, it's a shame in some ways that they're meeting at this stage because uh, I, I I like the fact that that they've got a little history because they met last year in the second round. Miami gets the upset or in the yeah first round, second round, whatever it was. Uh, Miami, um, you know, smokes them four to one last year, and Giannis was pretty tame in that series. Didn't even average twenty two points a game, a little bit below, and. You know, Buttonholzer comes under fire for not adjusting in, in that series. And, you know, Giannis's inability to shoot becomes a problem in that series. So, you know, here's Miami once again flying under the radar, once again in the bottom half of the bracket, and not looking even as potent as they did last year offensively because some of their young guys have, have, have struggled a bit. But it's the it's Jimmy Butler and Bam out of Bio. It's a, it's a Spolster coach team. They're going to give you everything that you can possibly handle. And this is a really big test for the for the new and improved version of the Bucks with Drew Holiday, and PJ Tucker, and a, you know a, a more developed Giannis, and you know so we'll see. Um, but that one has definitely got my attention because if look if the Bucks lose, you know Giannis signed long term, so the threat of him just bailing because of failure there is not as as big of an issue, or maybe it's not an issue at all. But they went all in to get Drew Holiday, and they traded a lot of assets to build up this roster and, and keep maximizing it for Giannis. And so losing in the first round would be just a, a, you know, colossal disappointment, but Miami's the defending Eastern conference champs and deservedly. So, and, and they're a team, I think, that has the potential to, to make another deep run.
2: Howard, how long do you think it'll take Donovan Mitchell to get back up to speed? He hasn't played. What's it been, Jake? It'll be like seven weeks
0: or something. Not quite that. It's been about a month.
2: Quite a while. And uh, he he said the goal is for him to be ready to go Sunday night. Uh, How do you think that's going to go?
1: I'd be concerned. I'm always concerned when a guy's been out a long time. I mean, I had that same standard for Anthony Davis, LeBron James, uh, James Harden, (laughs) all the other stars who have been out. Uh, late in the season, I think it matters. I think it's an impact. I think you know there's the personal side of it, which is conditioning and, and getting your rhythm back, and then there's the team part of it, which is just kind of you know readjusting and getting that team rhythm back. And you know, um, the the luxury of being the one seat is that maybe you've got time to get your 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 feet uh, settled again and get your rhythm back because your level of competition early on isn't as as tough. But if it's the Warriors, then they're not the average eight seed by any stretch, and so, um, and, and and that's also Donovan's position, right? I mean, obviously they got other guys. They got you know Mike Conley and others can take on the Steph Curry assignment, but I just think that that's not the way you want to start off if you can avoid it, um, especially when you've got your your star guard coming back from injury. I believe
0: we asked you about the, the play-in games and whether you like the concept last week, but let me add to that conversation by saying after seeing the, the ratings of the Lakers-Warriors game in particular and uh, hearing kind of some of the vibe coming from the NBA, it uh, appears like that thing's going to be here to stay.
1: I mean, I have no doubt about it, and I wrote that weeks ago that it was going to be, you know, uh, it was very, very likely to, to be approved permanently. Um, there's nothing, There's there, there's... So far nothing to complain about, right? I mean, yeah, there have been a couple of a couple of the games have been duds, but um, and Lakers Warriors is, is like that is not this the, what you're gonna get every year, right? Like they were really fortunate that it just happened to, to fall that way. But that was obviously a ratings bonanza. But I think it's also, you know, it's a new thing to sell. They got a, a you know, State Farm sponsored it right off the bat. That's a longtime NBA sponsor anyway, but you know, they named the play in tournament, you know, the by the corporate sponsor. Um, so that shows you where the financial incentive is. And as we've talked about before, you know, the entire league was still competing down the stretch of the season. Everybody was jockeying for something, either to get into the play-in, to avoid the play-in. Um, that's, it was just a really healthy uh, wrinkle because it made for better basketball down the stretch of the NBA season than in past years when we've got everybody tanking.
2: Howard, the Jazz were so successful at home during the regular season. Jake, what were they? Thirty-one and five, something like that. I, I'm just I don't have it, it in front of me. That sounds it, right. It there. was. It was really lopsided in their favor. How important is that in a playoff setting? Because the building, I guess, is going to be mostly full. What uh, thirteen thousand? Thirteen thousand. So it'll be. It'll be a little more normal in that regard. Is that a huge advantage for them? Do you expect? I
1: don't know the full spread of. Um, attendance limitations among the 16 playoff teams, but that'll be a really interesting number to look at. You know, uh, is, is it, is it wildly disproportionate? Is there, or is there a wild disparity? Because I think there's a difference between having 4,000 versus 16,000, right? Like yeah. uh, Maybe there's not a huge difference between 10,000 and 16,000, maybe 10,000 can make enough noise that the extra 6,000 is not as big of a, of a, Uh, jump. I don't know. Like it's a hard thing to gauge, right? Like home court advantage is obviously a lot about noise and feeling a crowd behind you or against you. It's home court advantage has something to do with other things, right? Sleeping in your own bed versus not being in hotels, not, you know, the comforts of home, all these other things. And it, there's never been any definitive, um, you know, study of, of, of what makes home court advantage, um, bigger in some places than others and all this right as we've discussed before utah and denver have the advantage of elevation and that's always going to be a factor regardless of crowd but the size of the crowd the intensity of the crowd having like i say five thousand versus 10 versus 15 versus 20 i think any any crowd you have at all if it's substantial I think is going to restore what home court advantage you had. Like, you don't, I don't think you need a packed building for there to be a home court advantage. I think it's just degrees at a certain point.
0: Uh, by the way, just for the sake of accuracy, I said 16,000. I meant to say 13. I think so. You said did 13. I th- say 13? I, I think you I th- said 13. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just make sure I got that right.
1: Howard. But 13 is uh, a big number. 13 is yeah. a big number, and 13,000 people can make a lot of noise and can, it's not the same as the 20,000 or 18 or whatever their capacity is. But 13000 is a substantial number to create an atmosphere.
2: And of course, if a team gets a road victory, then obviously that uh, home court advantage gets erased in a hurry. So we'll see how it goes.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's the wrinkles of in any given series, right? So, yeah.
0: Well, Howard, thank you as always. And uh, when we talk to you next week, we'll be a, a few games into a series. So that'll be nice.
1: Absolutely. Look forward to it, guys. Take care, Howard.
0: Howard Beck, our friend uh, from Sports Illustrated, senior NBA writer at Sports Illustrated. I think it'll. Uh, I think it'll make a difference. I. I wonder how much of a difference it's made this year. You know, you look at the thirty-one and five, and you think about. Uh, you know, just how good that is. Where home court hasn't mattered as much, and I wonder what it's like to go from playing in front of. Because it's got to be weird playing in an empty stadium, right? Yeah. It's just got to be. Yeah. So even going from empty stadium to. 6,000 fans or whatever it's been for most of the season. There's got to be a difference there. Even that, I mean, 6,000 really isn't that much in a building this big, but it's got to be different. Well, when we've heard Donovan talk about it and some of the other players,
2: it, it's its nice to hear what they say about how important that home crowd is to them and the lift it gives them, you know? Because, yeah, of course, you you would expect that, right? But to hear it from the mouths of the players... Hey, man, we hear you. You help us. That, that's that got to feel good for the fans here. And now that the building will be at least mostly full, not completely full, but mostly full, uh, then, yeah, advantage Jazz. It's been convincing this season. Whether it's 4,000 fans or whether it's 13,000, for whatever reason, the Jazz play better in this building. It doesn't always hold up, but, uh, I mean, it uh, – it, <laughs> The the one problem with it is, Jake, if the Jazz get into a game and they're going, wait a second, we're down 10, and we should, we always win in this building. Why are we down 10? Maybe they start to freak out a little bit, but I, I've i never asked any of the players about that, and I don't think they would admit to freaking out. Mm-hmm.
0: You So they would freak out being down 10 more at home than on the road? Yeah, because they would be expecting to be winning here. No. Yes. You've just gotten pretty deep on this one. Uh, I, I don't know what you're your, talking about. Your it. desire to think negatively is really oh, stretched. Stop it! It's really stretching <laughs> itself po- I've here. I have been very
2: positive of late. I write one column that that discusses some of the potential problem areas,
0: and now I'm Mister Negativity. do your breath. Here's why the Jazz are going to lose. I
2: didn't say that. <laughs> stop <laughs> I it. <laughs>
0: All right, stay tuned. We'll have more coming up uh, straight ahead. It is The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.